and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Wonderful book. I wish you could see the uh, illustrations. You need to get your own copy, though, but it's, it's wonderful. But Alexander says, I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard. And by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running. And I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. And Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Mrs. Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said, I'm being scrunched. I said, I was being smushed. I said, if I don't get a seat by the window, I'm going to be car sick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good. Very bad day. That's what it was, because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist, and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week, and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. And on the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot. And while we were waiting for my mom to go get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy. And then when I started crying because the mud, Nick said I was a crybaby. And while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. (laughs) I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, I told everybody. No one even answered. When we picked up my dad at his office... He said I couldn't play with his copying machine, but I forgot. He also said to watch out for the books on his desk, and I was as careful as I could be, except for my elbow. He also said, don't fool around with his phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please, don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate limas. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It's been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. Yeah, they are, Alexander. They're that way everywhere. I don't know if you may be having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Uh, Job certainly was having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad life, wasn't he? Uh, We're in our series, Journey to Us, because... The book of Job is the oldest book in the Bible, and the very first words of it is, In the land of Uz, there was a man named Job. And you remember right at the beginning of the book, it kind of introduces us to Job. Job had a perfect family. Job had uh, incalculable riches. Job had an incredible amount of, of influence and power, and he was the man. Matter of fact, it says that he was the greatest man in the East. He was the Bill Gates of the East. He was, he was the man. And, and on top of all that, God looks at him. I mean, this is God who knows everybody's heart. And God says, nobody in the whole world is better than Job on the inside. 
Job's faith, Job's righteousness, greatest man in the whole world. And so Satan comes to God one day, and God says, Satan, you think you're just only people who believe in me are wimpy people, people who can't think straight, people who are struggling. But have you seen Job? Most intelligent, he's got everything, he's got it all together, and he's also got the strongest faith. What do you think of this? And Satan says, well, duh, God, because you give him everything for acting this way. I mean, of course, he's not an idiot. He knows if he's righteous, then you're going to pour blessings on him. So why do you think he's being righteous? He's not serving you. He's serving himself. Take away the blessings, and you take away the praise. Take away the blessings, and you take away the faith. Take away the blessings, and you know you think he's going to be living for you. Now, this is a question for you and for me. If the blessings go away, and suddenly God is silent... And it's just rain, 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 and you're having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad season of life. What happens to your faith? Where does it go? Well, Job's friends show up. He's, after everything goes south, you know, all of his money goes away, all of his influence, his reputation, when he's thinking bad things about him, his family dies. Uh, he's got three friends who show up. Uh, Zophar, Bildad, Eli, Elihu, or actually the first guy is Eliphaz. Elihu comes back later. But we call these guys Eli, Billy, and Zo. They're really like Larry, Curly, and Moe spiritually because the advice they give him. And so they're sitting there with Job while Job is scratching the, the, the sores on his body. He, he's, he's pouring out his heart. And then these guys start to wax eloquent, as it were. And the vast majority of the book of Job, chapters 3 through 41, there's this dialogue. And usually if you get lost in the book of Job, somewhere in there, I bet if you go find where you stopped reading the book of Job, it's going to be somewhere in there because it's just long. And you go, man, I don't know what's going on. Well, we looked last week at this, this debate Throughout those whole chapters, you got you got Job's friends, and then you got Job talking, and you got to understand what they're thinking about, their their understanding, something they call the retribution principle, and you know the retribution principle as simply what you reap, you sow. And we know this is true in many ways, right? You go to work early and you stay a little bit late, and you find out what your boss wants, and you do it, and you do it well, and you're going to move up the ladder. Always, well, maybe not always, but often. Retribution principle always works all the time on the, the, the uh, vertical plane, spiritually. Often it works horizontally. But Job's friends are thinking that it always works horizontally. You always get out of life what you put into it. And then they also see the bottom corner of the triangle is God's justice. And they say, on top of that, we do know that God is always just. He will make sure the retribution principle always works because God's in charge and God's big and he's, and he's always just. And so, in all honesty, your life, if it's going well, probably because you're a righteous person. If it's not going well, it's probably because you're not. And so the last corner, Job's righteousness could be ours. They're saying, Job, if your life is going bad, we know the retribution principle is always true. We know God is always just. So if it's going bad, it's Probably your righteousness. You think you're doing better than you're doing. Or you're really hiding something. Time to start doing some checkup, Job, because that's why things are going bad. Well, what happens is Job's friends have to start off this thing. They start saying, Job, we know this is true, and we know this is true. So if your life is going bad, this is probably the... They start introducing this on the front end. Maybe, just think about this, Job. And so Job pushes back a little bit. And he says, well, if this is true... 
I know that I'm not worse than I've been before when everything good was happening. So I'm wondering if this is true. Big question mark on God's righteousness. So he pushes back just a little bit. Well, the friends don't like that. Someone coming after God. So they push back harder. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God's justice is always there, Job. So it's got to be your righteousness. Let's face it. You're a sinner. And so Job pushes back a little bit harder. Oh, no, I'm not a bigger sinner than you are. And he's just pushing, they're pushing back and forth. You know, the goofy thing is no one's questioning this. It's just going to be this or this. And so the whole, by the time you get to this end of this dialogue, they are screaming and yelling at each other. Uh, last week we looked at what, what Eli, Billy, and Zoe, were, their counsel, what they were telling Job. Today we're going to look at Job's words. Just to give you some where we're going, next week God shows up and we listen to God's words. But, but Job's words are really telling because, you know this as well as I do, we control what other people think of us in a large degree by what we say. We, we are image manipulators. We, we want to, don't want anyone thinking bad of us. Who would want that? And so we put on a face. We say the right things at the right time. For the most part, we, we, we control what we say to keep everybody thinking this image we want them to think. But somebody who's really going through it, they're at the very bottom. What happens to that person? Well, they let it all hang out, don't they? They got nothing to lose at this point. They just, it just comes. And so out of the mouth of Job, in his extreme pain comes all of this stuff that's inside him. If God said Job is the most righteous man in the whole world, what we want to do this morning is just look at his words for a moment and see that which is inside him, how he responded to pain, suffering. God said he was the most righteous guy in the world. See, look into our own heart and say, well, is that inside me? If I was going through that, is that what would come out of me as well? Uh, first set of words that we see coming out of Job are words of pain. Makes sense, right? Words of pain. Years ago, uh, one of my kids, my, my youth group, I was a youth pastor for many years. He was probably a senior in college, and we were up in Wisconsin. But uh, he was home from school with three of his friends, and they were going to go up north to a cabin and go hunting. Everybody in Wisconsin goes up north and goes hunting. Everyone's got a cabin, it seems. And so they're, they're driving. They stop off at a, at a bar to get something to eat and something to drink, a gazillion bars in Wisconsin. It's kind of what they do up, up there. They hunt and drink. It's kind of scary beer and guns together. I don't know. But anyway, they got that going on. They, they stop. They get something to eat, something to drink. They get back on the road. And I'm going to call the guy John. He's going too fast around a turn, loses control. Car goes off, hits a tree sideways, broadside, kills his best friend, who's sitting right next to him. I'm going to call him Michael. Mike is a godly kid. His parents, godly, godly parents. And, and John and Mike, they grew up together. I mean, they're best friends. And so Mike's parents, Christian parents, come to, to John, the, the guy who was drinking, who killed their son, and said, listen, we know you didn't mean it. We know you're best friends. Uh, you loved him. He loved you. Please know you're forgiven. Please know it's okay. And initially, we're all going, Wow, what faith. Well, in time, the shock wore off. And in time, uh, Michael's parents realized that Michael's never coming home again. Meanwhile, this, this kid who was drinking, who killed him, he's going to be able to get married and have kids and have a life. And, and, and his, his parents will have grandkids and all that kind of stuff, but they're not. And suddenly, 
that suddenly the tune kind of changed and the conversation changed and lawyers were involved. And I think it ended up okay, but I got really intense there for a while. Chronic pain does that. Initially, there's the uh, shock kind of numbs us a little bit, and the faith may come out, but in time. Job, we see this in Job. First, first round, Job loses his uh, family, he loses his, his stuff. It says that this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now, it's important to notice that the author here, he likes to, this author likes to repeat things verbatim. Look at Satan's going to God. He does a lot of repeating things verbatim. And notice this last line. In this, Job did not sin by, by charging God with wrongdoing. Round two, he loses his health. We don't know how much time went between the time he lost everything and then he loses his health, maybe weeks, days, months, I don't know. But, but his health is now gone. Next text. He just talked to us. His wife said, curse God and die. And he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In this, Job did not sin in what he said. The inference, when you compare the two, is that Job now might be thinking. He might be getting bitter inside. He's just not putting words to it. He's starting to, things are starting to churn inside. The shock is starting to wear off. He's starting to get tired of this. He doesn't like this anymore. And he's, he's going in a, a bitterness in his heart. Job then begins to get in this battle with his friends. Chapter 7. We're just kind of giving an overview because Job's got a ton of words here. But in chapter 7, this is, get what he says here. Get this in your head because this is going to come in play next week. Job says, if I have sinned, what have I done to you, a watcher of men? He's talking to God. Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my offenses and forgive my sins? For I will soon lie down in the dust and you will search for me, but I will be no more. Aren't you supposed to be forgiving if this whole thing is going south because I've sinned? Aren't you supposed to be forgiving or every time I sin, is this the kind of thing that's going to happen to me? And in chapter 9, he says, how then can I dispute with him? How can I find words to argue with him? He's talking about God. Though I were innocent, I could not answer him. I could only plead with my judge for mercy. Even if I summoned him and he responded, I do not believe he would give me a hearing. He would crush me with a storm and multiply my wounds for no reason. Now, at the very end, God's going to come in a storm. God's listening to Job. He's going to come. He says, you want me to come in a storm? Okay. doesn't come to crush, though. But Job's thinking, God's just out for me. He's going to try to wipe me out. Chapter 10. Job says, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free reign to my complaint and speak out of the bitterness of my soul. I've got nothing to lose here. Here it goes. He says, I will say to God, do not condemn me, but tell me what charges you have against me. What have I done wrong? Does it please you to oppress me, to spurn the work of your hands while you smile on the schemes of the wicked? God, you're letting wicked people get away. Does this please you to hurt me? Job, But he keeps going. 
Are your days like those of a mortal or your years like those of a man that you must search out my faults and probe after my sin, though you know that I'm not guilty and that no one can rescue me from your hands? Oh, God, because you're God, you can do whatever you want. Even though you know I'm innocent, you you just pop me around, you wait for me to do something so you can hit me. Is Is that the way you work, God? But this is what you concealed in your heart. I know that this was in your mind. This is how you think, isn't it, God? If I sinned, you would be watching me and would not let my offense go unpunished. You're just waiting for me to blow it, aren't you? So you can just hit me. I know that's the way you work. That's in your mind and heart. Now, Job doesn't curse God, but Job's getting close to cursing God. Chapter 24. Chapter 24, this is obviously a little bit of of the argument has has gone on. Job is now looking outside at the world. He's saying, you know what? The way God's treating me is the way he treats everybody. He says, why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? Men move boundary stones. They pasture flocks they have stolen. Maybe he's thinking the guys who stole all his flocks. They drive away the orphan's donkey and take the widow's ox in pledge. They thrust the needy from the path and force all the poor of the land into hiding. Like wild donkeys in the desert, the poor go about their labor of forging food. The wasteland provides food for their children. They gather fodder in the fields and glean in the vineyards of the wicked. Lacking clothes, they spend the night naked. They have nothing to cover themselves in the cold. They're drenched by the mountain rains and hug the rocks for lack of shelter. The fatherless child is snatched from the breast. The infant of the poor is seized for a debt. Lacking clothes, they go about naked. They carry sheaves, but they still are hungry. They crush olives among the terraces. They tread the wine presses, yet suffer thirst. The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out for help. But God charges no one with wrongdoing. So you want to know what the wicked do? The wicked are oppressing people. You want to know what they do to widows and what they do to orphans? They run over them for a profit. They steal from them. They hurt them. They're dying. These people are, are going hungry. These people are crying out for mercy. God, nothing. He lets the wicked go. This is just the way God operates. Verse 21. They prey on the barren and the childless women. And to the widow show no kindness. But God drags away the mighty by his power. Though they become established, they have no assurance of life. He may let them rest in a feeling of security, but his eyes are on their ways. He knows what's going on with them, but he lets them go anyway. For a little while, they're exalted. Then they're gone. They're brought low and gathered up like all the others. They're cut just like the rest of us. These guys will, have, these guys will die like the rest of us, but they're going to have a good time on the way. And then he says, if this is not so... Who can prove me false and reduce my words to nothing? You know this is true. If you think, you know this is true. I was uh, on the streets Chicago years ago, street preaching, and a Jewish guy came up to me. We were talking, and uh, he got right in my face. He said, oh, God, huh? God's so good. I'll tell you, I'm going to talk to God one day. This is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, where were you when the six million of your people who cared for you were, were mercilessly killed? Where were you when they were put into the ovens and the gas chambers? Where were you, God? He says, oh, God and I are going to have a conversation. But you need to know he's the one that's going to be on trial, not me. That's kind of what Job is feeling 
That's what, that's what Job is thinking. Now, this is, this is the amazing part about this. In Job 42, God shows up, and God says this. The Lord said these things to, after he said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz, Eli, the Timonite, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. What? Weren't you listening, God? What is the deal? What do you mean God Job has spoken? This is, this is, God listens to all this and this is his, his end conclusion? Job did say these things. Let me mention a couple things on that. I love the honesty of scripture. If I want to write up about somebody who's a great hero, I'm not going to have him saying these things. This is inspired. Number two, Job is not our example on all walks. Just like there's, there's very few people in scripture who are our example on all levels. Uh, King David was a man after God's own heart. King David had lots of wives. Well, I get, no, no, no. There's nobody who is a perfect example. Uh, very few people in scripture that something their humanness doesn't come out. So don't, don't hold that out as your example. Also, please know that God is going to talk to Job about what he's saying. It's what he says with this. He's not, Job's not off the, the line. But you need to know that though Job said these things, this is not all Job said. Job said a lot of other things too. And you have to take into account all of what Job says before you make a judgment. You know, if in fact there are certain Things I've done in my life or who I am, that if you looked at the one piece of me, not a good piece, and you, 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 you let that piece define the reality of all who I am. You say, that Harris, he's, look how bad he is. And you've made that one piece all define who I am. That'd be quite unfair, right? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that of you? You mean you have nothing in your life that somebody might be able to find or see and point out and say, what a hypocrite, what an evil person. Yeah, we all have that, don't we? And it would be very unfair if they found that one piece and said, that's it, that defines this person. Well, this is a little bit bigger than that. People do that about, we do that with each other, we do that with situations, we do that with the church. You know, the church is all is a bad situation. That old church has got all kinds of... Listen, I'm on the inside, I'm telling you, there are bad thing. I can tell you some rough things going on. I can tell you. But we don't want to define all of reality by the negative. There's good things going on. The church has got more dollars this past year than ever before. We've given more money to foreign missions. We've helped the gospel get out in this world farther any other year in this church's existence other than, than one. We've had uh, almost 75 people, over 75 people become members within the last uh, couple of years. Uh, we've had uh, 40 people sign up to serve this past Thursday Sunday. 70 new people sign up after that. Uh, our small group ministry has doubled in the, the last year. There are some things that are real, things that you've got to look at and say, mm. but just don't, we just want to focus there. Same thing with, with each other. Same thing with Job. We don't want to say, oh, look what Job said. This defines who he is. God doesn't do that. Also, you need to know, real important, God said that Job was the most righteous person in the world, right? When Job was going through it real deep, this is how Job responds. Maybe you've been hit with something really huge in your life, and it's really rattled your faith. You've got you to know that sensing, feeling some of the stuff Job felt is not equated to walking away from God. It's, it's not the same thing. And so you say, well, I must be nothing. I must be gone. I must be, I must be a loser spiritually. Not, not necessarily. 
Uh, this is, can be a normal deal. Now, if you stop there, and that is all that comes out of your mouth, it's all that comes out of your heart, and you've got some problems. Job has got not just words of pain, but he's also got words, words of perseverance. Chapter 6. Job is talking. He says, uh, well, let's go start with verse 8 of chapter 6. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to lose, uh, or to, to let loose his hand and cut me off. He says, he's saying, I just wish God would, would take me home right now, just kill me right now. Then I would still have this consolation, my joy and unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. Now, what did Satan say? Give this guy unrelenting pain, and he's going to deny you. Job says, in the face of unrelenting pain, I have not denied your words. I've not. Chapter 13. Job's talking to Zophar, I think, Zoh, one of his friends. He says, keep silent and let me speak. Then let come to me what may. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my own hands? Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. I know I can open my mouth to my God because even though I don't understand what's going on, I, I, I still know he's my God. And what does Satan say? Slay him and he'll walk away. He says, though he slay me, I will still hope in him. I will still be there. Chapter 23. Job says, if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I don't find him. When he's at work in the north, I don't see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Have you ever had that where God is just silent? You're looking so hard, you're praying so hard. Please, when you give me some sort of sign, some sort of something, nothing. Job says nothing. But he knows the way that I take. And when he's tested me, I will come forth as gold. My feet have closely followed his steps. I have kept through his way without turning aside. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily food. He's saying, Satan said, if you go quiet, God, the praises will go quiet. And Job says, though God is quiet, I am going to continue to to please him. I'm going to continue to go after him. I'm going to continue to obey him no matter what, no matter what. Chapter 27, he says in verse 2, As surely as God lives who has denied me justice, the Almighty who has made me taste bitterness of soul, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness and my tongue will utter no deceit. Satan said, go ahead, introduce a little bitterness of soul to Job. And you'll see what comes out of his mouth. And Job says, though the Almighty has introduced bitterness of soul to me, my lips will remain pure. I'm going to be faithful to him. Godly folk, when we go through deep fire, have those words of pain. We we do. We have the the hurt. There may be questions. God, have you betrayed me? Have you left me? All those things that Job felt. But they also have words of perseverance. And perhaps something has hit you upside the head a while back, upside your life, and, and you have just 
the words of pain. You could relate to that aspect of Job, but as far as the perseverance, you basically, what Satan said about you would be true. Take away the blessings, and your person's going to exit the, the get off the exit ramp as soon as he can from following you. The words of perseverance. Sometimes it's all you have. He's silent. I don't see him. Everywhere I turn, he's not there. This makes no sense to me. He's big enough. He could have stopped it. He didn't. I don't understand. But I'm not going to deny him. I'm not going to betray him. Whatever happens to me, if I have to die, I will, I will, I will die. The only way it's ever going to stop, that's what he says here, the only way that I will ever stop in my seeking him is when my breath stops. That will be it. That's the only thing you can take away to keep me. You say, well, got the words of pain. I'm there. I can relate. The words of perseverance. Not sure how you can say that. I'm not sure how I could say that. And that's because you've got to follow Job's words of promise. If you understand his words of promise, you know what? The words of perseverance will, will be there. In chapter 9, Job. This is, fasc- this is just fascinating to me. Job chapter 9. All this book in the Bible. This is the oldest book in the Bible. This was around before Genesis was written. This was the very first book God inspired. Nine, verse 33, Job says, If only there were someone to arbitrate between us, that's himself and God, and to lay his hand upon us both, someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would, would frighten me no more. Earlier in this chapter, Job says, No one can be righteous before God because God is holy, He's perfect, He's way up here, and we're all sinners. And so, he's perfect, he can't look on sin, I get that, and I'm, I'm sinful. So I need somebody to arbitrate between us, to step in between God and myself, because I can't do it. There's, there, we're in trouble without this arbitrator. There's nowhere for us to go, we're all doomed. This is what he says. Chapter 14. He says, if a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. You will call and I will answer you. You will long for the creature your hands have made. Surely then you'll count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. My offenses will be sealed up in a bag. You will cover over my sin. He's looking to that future tense. He's looking forward. Chapter 16. Amazing text. Even now... My witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. As my eyes pour out tears to God, on behalf of a man he pleads with God, as a man pleads for his friend. Who is he talking about? This guy lived before Abraham. And he says, I, I need, you need we, we need a mediator. And I know I've got one. He's in heaven. He's my intercessor. He's my friend. And he's pleading my case on behalf, of, on behalf of me to God. I know I've got such a... Then chapter 19, verse 25. It says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. This advocate, this friend, this intercessor... It's going to come to the earth, is what he's saying. 
It's Redeemer. A Redeemer has to fix something. What the word means is something's broken. I don't have the power or ability to fix it. A Redeemer does, can step in and fix it for me. Job says, I know my Redeemer is alive today. And in the end, he's coming to this earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. Job is bringing about the doctrine of resurrection. The, the oldest book in the Bible, he knows. One day, he's got to have, to have, he has to have a redeemer. Mankind has to have, has to have an advocate. His, his advocate is alive. One day, he's coming. He's a redeemer. And look what he says. How my heart yearns within me. Job's pain has not gone away. The sores on his body have not gone Everything is still bad. He's having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. But when he thinks about this redeemer, what does he say? Heart yearns within me. Hope. Huge hope. I've, I've asked the, uh, Della Medaglias to come up. I want to, we want to illustrate this and help us to see and understand what's going on in Job's mind. The truth that Job is putting out that you and I have to, have to embrace. This is Phil and Quinn and Jenna. They're all, they're all related to each other. It's the dad and the son. Just so you get this wrong, this is the daughter. Make sure we all understand this, right? All right now, 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 you guys are having a great relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're good. They're good. They're, they enjoy each other. He create, created her. kind of. Yeah, that's true. And they enjoy each other. It's Father God and mankind. Okay, but then one day, you know, they have a good relationship. But mankind looks over his shoulder and says, you know what? It looks pretty attractive that way. God, you know, I think I'm going to go this way for a while. Thank you very much. But your rules just a little bit stuffy. They're confining me. I need to do this on my own. This is just something I've got to do. And so there's a separation. Scripture calls this sin. And when this enters into it, God the Father cannot look at sin. He's always perfect. He loves mankind, but he can't. And so he's got to turn his back on the situation, on mankind. And this is the, the, the relationship that we are all born into with God. And a lot of us, you know, going our own way, and we don't give much thought of God, and we're just, we're just cruising through life. Once in a while, somebody will have the spiritual call of the wild in their heart. They'll know there's a God, and so they'll turn looking for him. And they'll do all kinds of things to try to get his attention. Maybe it might be, uh, I'm going to church now. I'm going to try to be good and be nice to my, my, with my money. I'm going to read the Bible once in a while. They do all kinds of things to try to get God's attention. It's called religion. But it doesn't get God's attention can do a ton of them. It's irrelevant because there's a sin issue there. God can't look at it. And so often there'll be despair. We know people who are living their whole life trying to do this religion thing. And some people go, often they'll go back to the world. And you know people like this. They're in the world. They're trying to find God. They're in the world. They're trying to find God. And it ends up being despairing. Well, God the Father wants a relationship with us. So he exactly what Job said. He knows there's an, there's an advocate. There's a redeemer that would one day be on this earth. And so 2,000 years ago, he sent Job's advocate to this earth. We called him Jesus. And he came. And when he stood between, because Job said, Job said, I've got to have a mediator between God and I, or I don't stand a chance. 
When Christ was here, he strung out his hands and he died on the cross. And so that God the Father took that sin and put on Jesus' back. So Jesus became the sin. But when he rose from the dead, it was all gone. It was clean. So God the Father can turn and look at Jesus because Jesus is holy and perfect and the sin is gone. And when mankind will turn, the Bible calls that repentance, and embraces Christ... You can be restored to God. You can't get to God through good works and through church stuff and through baptism. It doesn't get you there. You can only get to God through Jesus. So, thanks, guys. So, let me ask you all this. Right now, in your, in, just inventory yourself. In your own heart, have you ever embraced Christ? Have you ever turned are you still facing going your own way? You don't even know, thinking that God exists. Or maybe you've tried to turn and you've tried to find him through religion, but you know that doesn't work for you, has it? Have you ever turned and embraced Jesus? See, if you do, and you can right here. There's no, you don't pay anything. It's not a works thing. All of your sin, that stuff that separates you and God, is washed away through Christ. According to scripture, you are suddenly made new. You're made, you, are, you are reunited with God through Jesus. So I want to give you an opportunity right now. So would you bow with me? And in your own, just between you and God, if you want to turn, you want to embrace Jesus now, you can do so in a prayer through faith. But you can say, oh, Lord. God, thank you for sending my Redeemer, my Mediator. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sin. Would you forgive me now? Would you come into my life? Thank you. Amen.